0: All right, welcome to another edition of the College Twelve Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Con. With me, as always, Tyler Nitu, of LSU Tiger Choir. Uh, Tyler, the podcast should sound better this week, rocking the new mic. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. Uh, definitely wanted to increase our game uh, as we get into the season, and and really, Tyler, there was there was a lot uh, going on this weekend. Uh, there was a lot going on when it comes to. You know, Florida State, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. We had some good games. We had some blowouts. uh, And we're still left with more questions, uh, aren't we, Tyler?
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of felt like we'd have a really good idea of of what was going on in the country this week, after this week. And that just really doesn't seem like it was the case. I feel like we still have a lot a lot of questions about a lot of teams.
0: Uh, Yeah, one question or one team we don't seem to have questions on right now or – Uh, at least through four weeks is Florida State, and that's kind of where I want to start. Florida State, Clemson, this was a game where Clemson had a 10-point lead multiple times in this game, uh, but when it came down to it in in the fourth quarter and and as they went into overtime, it just felt like Florida State had the answers with Keon Coleman's late touchdown, and, and really Clemson just, it seemed like late in that game just couldn't get anything consistently going to try and put this game away when they had opportunity.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this was my bold prediction last week for Clemson winning this game. And I mean, obviously they didn't do it. I thought they looked pretty good though. Honestly, all things considered, you know, I mean, this was a close game. It was a game that for a while looked like it was trending in the direction of Clemson winning it. Um, I think at least to me, sort of that whole stretch in like the fourth quarter didn't feel very good uh, for Clemson, but you know, they, they take it to overtime. They almost win the game. I thought that Cade Klubnik played really well um, in this game. I think it's pretty clear he's, he's developing and, and has a lot of potential. Um, I, I think, I think we probably did overreact to Clemson after that Duke game, especially because, I mean, we'll see what Duke does against uh, Notre Dame next week, but Duke might be a really good team. So I, I thought they held a handle that game. Well, I have questions about Florida state though, to be honest with you, like, you know, Clemson doesn't really have the best weapons out wide, but I thought they gave FSU some trouble defensively. I mean, FSU, Travis had a Jordan Travis had a good game. They only scored 24 points in regulation, though. And the Boston College team that almost beat them got blown out 56 to 28 to Louisville. So I actually might have some questions about Florida State. I don't know if they're quite as good as I thought they might be.
0: You know, when you get into conference play, it feels like throw any preconceived notions out the window because we know it can always change and i thought it was interesting jonathan whites if you if you're not familiar with his story he was on this football team as a backup kicker for four years sitting on his couch Davo sweeney calls him up says we're gonna make you the kicker uh he was taking online classes so he was still eligible to play uh you know and it looked like it was going to be a storybook a storybook ending uh for the clemson tigers as as, as whites lines up to. Potentially hit that game winner with I think it was like a minute forty five left in the game. It was just under two minutes, twenty nine yards out. He would already hit a thirty yarder, and then he he misses it, and then ultimately opened opened the door, reopened the door, I should say, for Florida State to win this game because nobody scored in the fourth quarter, and that was our only real opportunity. But you know, Clemson again now they're they're sitting with two losses, and now they're going to need some help, Tyler, uh, to get into that ACC title game.
1: Yeah, and it's worth remembering, the ACC doesn't have divisions anymore this year. If you want to make the title game, you have to have a top two uh, conference win percentage. Starting off 0-2, I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's it's highly unlikely at this point that Clemson is one of those two participants.
0: And especially given the fact that now Clemson doesn't have, they're on the losing end of the tiebreaker for both Duke um, if they continue to win football games and, and Florida State right now because they're 0-2, um, they kind of hold it. We'll, we'll see what happens as they get further into play because we have a North Carolina team who who wants to make noise themselves. I have questions about their defense, but ultimately I think right now uh, Clemson is, is, is hoping for some help, but uh, you have to really like what Florida State and Duke are doing. Now let's talk about another game that Notre Dame was hosting Ohio State – and this looked like a game that Ohio State was going to lose late in that game. Notre Dame had done enough. And a boneheaded mistake, 10 guys on the field for the final play of the game and where that 11th guy was supposed to be, Ohio State runs the ball right into that spot, gets the game-winning touchdown and now Ohio State looks good. Let's not forget, you know, even though Notre Dame's sitting at 4 and 1, they're still in a really good spot and they lost to a really good Ohio State team, regardless of what you think of their offense not being where they are. Uh, I think it's time to start talking about that Ohio State defense is is one of the premier units in college football.
1: Yeah, I mean, on paper, there's no reason for, for Notre Dame to be too down about the way this game played out because I think they looked good. I think they, you know, acquitted themselves well in this game. They looked like a team that could be competitive for a playoff spot and win a lot of games. But it's hard to feel that way because of, like you said, the way that they lost. I mean, it felt like Notre Dame should have won this game to me with the way they played in the, at the end of the third and in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, put together back-to-back touchdown drives. Really wore down Ohio State defense that is elite. I think, I think it's safe to say at this point it really looks like that. Um, but they wore them down. They were able to run them. They, they put together back-to-back touchdown drives to take the lead. And, man, that penalty, you just – i mean, sorry, not a penalty, but just a, a mistake to not have an 11th guy on the field – coming out of a timeout, man, with the game on the line, like you just can't do that. And it's the kind of mistake that gets amplified when it's a game like this against an opponent like this, you know, a game that could potentially keep you out of the playoff. And when, you know, when Notre Dame maybe loses some games later, it's the kind of thing that sticks in your mind. If you're a fan, it's just tough for Marcus Freeman to have to have something like that. That you know, I think the the trajectory here is still positive positive. But that, that's a really tough way to lose a game. Um, but good for Ohio State. You know the defense played great in this game. I, I don't think Kyle McCord is necessarily as good as what they've had at the quarterback position in recent years. But he clearly can make some plays. You know, threw some really nice balls with the game on the line on that last drive. So uh, pretty impressed by Ohio State. You know, we'll see
0: obviously
1: how they look against the better teams in the conference. But
0: yeah, and then and then you factor in the. Ohio State in this series against Notre Dame that was their sixth straight win um and so really you know it's frustrating for a Notre Dame fan base who hasn't defeated Ohio State since 1936 now they didn't play from 1936 to 1995 but ever since 95 it's been all Ohio State in this series now another game that's interesting that happened in the Big Ten was the matchup between Penn State and Iowa and and really one of the big storylines, not so much the the Penn State side of this, which was a, a very dominant win, thirty-one to nothing, but now that Brian Ferentz' twenty-five point average that he's got to have, they've got to score three hundred twenty-five points in this this season for him to keep his job. They now dropped to twenty-one point three points per game. Didn't score any uh, against Penn State's defense, which you know that Penn State defense is pretty good. Uh, I think we can both agree to that. Uh, but now we're starting to see. As they get into Big Ten play, I think Iowa is going to have a lot of problems trying to score, and it doesn't really look good for Brian Ferencz right now.
1: No, it does not. I mean, you're right, good Penn State defense, no doubt about that. Um, maybe even better than we thought it was, but that's not really an excuse for what happened in this game. You know, shut out. You have 76 total yards of offense. That's I, I don't know if I've ever seen a result. I mean, have you? Have you ever seen a team finish with fewer yards
0: than that at least a Power 5 team? Because I, I don't I mean, think I have. No, no. I mean, when you look at it, just like everything that was going on. I mean, the the best part of their offense was their punting unit. Uh, yeah. Punted seven times. Yeah, I think it was fifty-two or fifty-three yards per punt. So I mean, obviously their punter was getting a good workout in this game. But four first downs in a game, two uh, run, running running the ball, two passing. I mean, twenty net yards rushing. I mean, the. I mean, this was just a abysmal offense in this game and and, it really they could do nothing to quiet that crowd of one hundred ten thousand screaming fans in happy valley it it just wasn't good all the way around and you know the 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 fumbles uh they just couldn't you know keep hold of the ball just all around just a very poor performance And, and another thing that we talk about don't hire your family uh to run your offense don't hire your family to work for you uh that's the uh the takeaway for me anyway because it's not looking good for for the parents family right now
1: yeah yeah i mean you mentioned the fumbles they had four turnovers in this game so you finish under 100 total yards of offense you have turned the ball over four times you're not you're going to lose that game 101 times out of 100 like that i mean there, there was no path to winning this game for iowa Penn State, I mean, the defense held up. Like, Penn State didn't have an explosive day offensively. Drew Larr was fine. I mean, he took care of the ball, avoided mistakes, threw four touchdowns. So that that was good. I mean, everything was promising for Penn State, but it's not like they did anything that should have made it, you know, this outrageous of a score, but uh, just Iowa offensively. Cade McNamara, I I mean, I don't want to clown on the guy too much because no quarterback has really had success here, but man does not look like the same guy that had at least moderate success at Michigan.
0: No, he, he really didn't, and and that's why I think it's frustrating right now for for the Hawkeyes faithful. Um, you know, bringing in Cade McNamara, they they thought that this was going to turn around, and and really didn't. Five of fourteen throwing the football, sacked twice, got forty two yards total. It, it was just a poor performance, and once again, yeah, hats off to that Penn State team. You know, who had an all around good performance, thirty one nothing, and and they're looking good, and 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 really what we expected in big, that big 10 East Penn state looks good. Ohio state looks pretty good. Michigan looks pretty good. Uh, you know, it's, it's a three dog race out there and it's going to be interesting to see kind of who comes away with that one. Now in a game that a lot of people are watching with high expectations, Oregon and, and Colorado, and this game was 35, nothing at halftime. I mean, it wasn't even close. They ended up 42 to six Colorado, finally able to score late in that game. Uh, but I was really interested to listen to Dan Lanning's pregame speech that went viral during this game. And Dan Lanning says, you know, we're we're not part of this storybook ending. We're not part of the Cinderella story. They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. And uh, if you just listen to that speech, and then you go and look at the final score, it seemed like it checked out, Tyler.
1: Yeah, Oregon clearly had something to prove. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what, what the motivation was behind all that from Dan Lanning, but there was clearly – they took this game personal to a degree and it looked like it with the way they prepared and played. I mean, just a absolute complete demolition of, of Colorado. Um, Look, I mean, Oregon looks good. I'm surprised. I I didn't think that this would be like a game. Um, I didn't think they'd win by 36 points. I, I I really didn't. I'm very surprised. Um, Impressed by Oregon. Also a little bit disappointed with Colorado, but I mean, we saw The weaknesses that we knew this Colorado team had were finally exploited. I mean, they – Shador got sacked seven times. Um, That's just – you're not going to be successful in a game like that. Um, Got torched by Oregon. You know, I think really missed Travis Hunter in this game. Not so much on offense, which is what I expected going into the game, like I said last week. um, I mean, it doesn't really matter how dynamic of a playmaker you've got if Shador doesn't have any time to make plays. But defensively, they really did miss him, I think. I don't think that secondary can afford to be without a guy that talented, especially against uh, Oregon offense that's as good as they are. I I mean, I think this could be an an opportunity for people to sort of revert back to the – like flip back to the other uh, side of the spectrum with Colorado. I mean, this is still a much-improved team than anyone thought they would be this year. We expected that they would start to have results like this when they got into the meat of their schedule, um, and that's fine. And we'll see what they do against USC next week, who, as we'll get into – Maybe not quite as sturdy as Oregon is, um at least in the trenches. so it'll be it'll be something to watch. One thing I do want to say real quick before we move on um, is that I feel like a lot of the the everyone was saying kind of coming into the year like, oh, wait, wait and see, watch what happens when Dion takes a bad loss. How's he gonna handle that? Um, I don't know how many people watched his post game press conference. I did. he handled it fine, said the right things, was gracious, took the blame, like didn't divert blame, did everything you expect a coach to do so. Everything about this, we've just way overhyped it's in every direction.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think that anything that Colorado did was all that shocking. You know, when you when you look at the, at this team and, and how they're put together, uh, we couldn't expect them to just come out and just completely turn it around. Uh, very rarely do you go from one and eleven to an eleven and one type team, um, and, and it takes a lot. And I, you know, but hats off to what Dion and Colorado has done. You know, I think uh, just what they were able to do, they kept fighting. Let's, we'll give them that. Uh, but again, like you said, we're going to really get an idea next week too, against USC, against a team whose defense we have questions about, and we'll we'll get more into them uh, shortly. But let's talk about LSU, Arkansas. This game was a lot closer than maybe some thought. Um, you you kind of pointed to the questions with Arkansas or the the LSU defense, and and where. There's a lot of concern, especially on that back end. But uh, another, you know, a slow start by Jaden Daniels, and he really turned it on, uh, you know, in that second quarter and then on into the second half to, to wheel his team to a victory. Yeah, this honestly
1: was just in no way the game that I expected it would be. Um, Arkansas played really, really well really well in this game for a team coming off a really frustrating loss, uh, playing in a tough environment at night without your best offensive skill position player. They handled it really, really well. I thought, Um, like you said, LSU defensively, absolutely. We have some questions. You know, this is a team that has really struggled, not just this year, but last year too, uh, against dual threat quarterbacks, against guys who are a threat to run the ball, especially guys that are big and hard to bring down like KJ Jefferson is. And they had a lot of struggles with him. I mean, he, he really gave this defense fits I think we have concerns about the secondary after they've now been torched by the two best passing offenses. They have played, you know, Mississippi state didn't really wasn't equipped to do that. Didn't have the offensive line to give Will Rogers time. And he doesn't have the legs to extend plays like, like KJ Jefferson and Jordan Travis can. Um, And they did, you know, I thought Arkansas, you know, look, it was a slow, like you said, it was a slow start uh, offensively for LSU. They fell down 13 to three in the final minute of the first half, eventually scored at the end of the first half. And then again, to start the second half, uh, got back in the game, retook the lead, but it was still back and forth. You know, they needed, you know, a final drive that bled out the last few minutes kicked a last second field goal. But, you know, it was concerning, I think, especially on the defensive end, but man, LSU offensively is just so good. Um, you know, the receivers they've got with Brian Thomas Jr. and Malik Nabors, both those guys are absolute studs. Jaden Daniels looks a lot better as a pocket passer this season, and now they have an actual running back in Logan Diggs, the Notre Dame transfer. You know, relied a lot on Jaden Daniels to produce with his legs last year. That hasn't been the case as much uh, since Diggs played, which he didn't in week one.
0: Yeah, you had to really like the the coming out uh, of Logan Diggs in this game. Uh, I think he rushed for over 90, 97 yards, I think. Uh, yeah, on 14 carries, which you know, good for him. You know, he's good average six, almost seven yards of carry. So I mean, anytime you can get that kind of performance is good. You know, KJ Jefferson did good in this game. I think you know attacking uh, that secondary and that LSU defense. He did throw two interceptions. Um, you know, which hurt him, but you had to like what Luke had. One was a hail doing. mary, by the way.
1: On the well, one play, was? One was, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That that. Okay, so he threw. One within the framework of you know trying to get a win, um, you know, interception on a Hail Mary is not really a huge thing, but you look at what Luke has was doing, uh, attacking that secondary, uh, attacking that second level, really linebackers, and you know, from the tight end position, he did a fantastic job. Two touchdowns in this game, he, you know, he made an impact. Uh, we do have our questions about LSU defensively, but I think offensively. No questions for me. I I think this is a really well-rounded offense uh, within the SEC right now. Yeah, it's going to be dangerous. I mean, very curious how it looks in a matchup against, like,
1: Alabama, who good defensive team, don't really have the offensive firepower, though, and that one could be interesting.
0: Yeah, speaking of Alabama, let's get into that game. Alabama, old Miss, we had Lane Kippen. This was his best opportunity, I think, to beat Nick Saban, uh, but it, it wasn't meant to be, uh, as we saw in this game. Ole Miss looked good early; they had a seven to six lead at halftime. They were struggling to score, as you said, good defensive team. Uh, but then late in that game, especially the third and fourth quarter, they were able. Alabama was able to put some scoring drives together and really put this game away. Uh, you know, when you look at at the Ole Miss offense, kind of disappeared. Quinchon Judkins hasn't really looked like the same player that we saw a year ago. Uh, But you look, Alabama, Jace McClellan was able to run the football. You know, Jalen Milrow was able to do some things. Uh, You know, he had four incompletions in this game, which, you know, speaks to just how far ahead he is of Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson, as we saw. But, you know, they're they're a team that are still dangerous because of what they do defensively. Uh, So definitely not riding off the Alabama Crimson Tide through four weeks. Yeah, this,
1: this was a really bad result for Lane and Ole Miss. I mean, I like, I picked them. I picked them pretty confidently, too. I, I, I'm really surprised how non-competitive they were in this game, and it's really disappointing. You know, I think in a year that it was looking like they might have started, you know, been starting to put it together on, on both sides of the ball for the first time. Um, you know, Jackson Dart really just couldn't get it going in this game. Alabama's defense is really, really good still, um, maybe even better than I was giving it credit for prior to this week. Uh, not going to underrate that group as much moving forward. Um, you know, I think Milro, like you said, clearly the right option. I mean, he's, he's, he's got his limitations. He, you know, was efficient. Um, one of those four incompletions was a pick. Don't love to see that, but otherwise a pretty good game. Um, and I think it's, he's clearly above the rest of those guys further along than they are. Um, the best chance this team has to win moving forward, still have my questions, but, man, it's hard for me to even talk about Alabama because Ole Miss should have won this game or not the way it played out, but just going into it, they needed to win this game. I mean, not even to talk about the fact that Lane spent all week trolling. I mean, Lane was pretending he had figured out that Kevin Steele was no longer calling plays for Alabama. You know, he was potentially, you know, uh, mimicking Nick Saban's mannerisms. I don't know if you saw that, but there were just a lot of things this week. He was really setting up for what he thought was going to be a win. And they got embarrassed in this game. Um, and I think you look at what they've got going ahead. You know, I was had they won this game, I was going to start having a dialogue about is Ole Miss the best team in the SEC West. All of a sudden, now they host LSU this weekend. That one, on I mean, we'll see what happens. I kind of think that one could get ugly in LSU's favor, and if it does, like it did last year, I mean, they're out of the West race basically. And I don't really know what Lane Kiffin has to show for this year, especially after that off-season circus with the Auburn job last year.
0: Yeah, no, there, there's plenty of questions when you look at Ole Miss. And, you know, I think you're right with, you know, Lane has always been about the dramatics. He's always been about the troll. I mean, he's the troll king. We do know that. Uh, but when it comes down to business and we look at what was going on on the field, you know, it's it was a bad look for an Ole Miss team that, like you said, had to win this football game, especially uh, for a team that if they wanted to challenge LSU – for that SEC West crown, they really needed to win this football game, and now they have to play LSU. Um, you know, and LSU wins this game, it's ultimately going to come down to once again that game between LSU, Alabama in November, and we'll see how that plays out. But right now, once again, we're looking at an LSU versus Alabama uh, game that ultimately decide the SEC West. I don't, I don't know where where Lane Kiffin could go from here, but. Yeah, like going back to Alabama, I want to give them all the props in the world. It's you know it's not de- defensively what they were able to do. Um, you know they let Lane talk and then they went out on the field and, and shut down his offense which which was surprising. You know another game that's interesting and, and this brought on a lot of of heat from from Jake Dyker, the head football coach at Washington State. They're able to be, beat Oregon State. 38-35. Now, this is interesting because this is the two teams that were left in the Pac-12. The uh, Nobody Wants Us Bowl, uh, as Lee Corso put it. And, you know, I thought it was interesting that after the game, Jake Dyker went on a rant where he said that nobody watches us bowl. I mean, if you're, if you're going to criticize what Lee Corso said on, on game day, maybe you should actually quote him right. It was the Nobody Wants Us Bowl, which he wasn't lying about, and, and we know that. But that's not to take away from what we saw out of Cameron Ward in this game. He scored five touchdowns, one on the ground, four in the air. I think he only had four incompletions in this game. By far and away, he might be the most improved quarterback from last year to this year with his ability to limit the turnovers and just really take over games.
1: Yeah, Jake Digger, not the only coach we saw this weekend, uh, have you know take shots at a former coach-turned-television personality. We didn't talk about it during the State Notre Dame game, but – Ryan Day had some pretty choice words for uh, for Lou Holtz, who questioned his team's physicality after the game and his uh, on field post-game interview. So that was a little bit interesting to see. But yeah, you know, look, Washington State deserves to talk their talk, man. The way they've started this year, they look really, really good. Um, you know, a team that we, I think, counted out in the Pac-12. Uh, maybe we shouldn't. You know, I think maybe they're closer to that top tier than we anticipated. You know, I think this game, the final score was close. It was 38-35 not really the way the game actually played out. You know, this was 35 to 14, pretty late in the game. Uh, uh, Oregon State needed three fourth quarter touchdowns to make it a game. Still wasn't enough. You know, DJU wasn't great in this game. I think we kind of saw a performance more like what we saw when he played against the best teams at Clemson. Um, And then, you know, on the other hand, I thought Cam Ward really, you know, we'll get into it in a little bit later in the show with the Heisman guys. And I think there's, you know, two pretty clear front runners, and they're not Cam Ward, but this guy – if, if they go on some sort of special run, I mean, he's currently at 13 touchdowns, no picks. I mean, transferred up from the FCS ranks last year, had a good year, not a great year, sort of had some inconsistencies. He's been on it since the season started this year. Uh, he looks really good. They look really good. They're making a statement and they're going to be really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, I think when you look at, the popular picks last year of who was going to be this next up and coming quarterback, it was Cameron Ward, but maybe we were a year early because he looks a lot better uh, this year. Again, Oregon state still looked good, but like you said, this game was put away relatively early and and really the with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter, Jankowski hits that bill go from 44 out to put them up 38. I think they were up 38 to, uh, 21 at that point, uh, so. you know, and so they were able to kind of put that game away. But, yeah, they're, they're a team that can make some noise. And I think that really when you look at what Jake Dykert is doing with Washington State, they're a team to very much that we should be paying attention to in the Pac-12. Maybe they don't win or maybe they don't get into the Pac-12 title game, but I think they're going to make things very interesting. And I'm really interested to see that Washington-Washington State game uh, with these two high-flying offenses. But before we get back into some of the, the Pac-12 games. I want to talk about a game in the Big Ten. You know, Rutgers this season had surprised people. Started 3-0, and looked like they had a really good defense, but when they went up against Michigan in the return of Jim Harbaugh, that uh, was a little bit much for, for Rutgers to contend with, and, and really that shouldn't be a shock to anybody because I think we all knew that this Michigan team was talented uh, and they were going to put it on Rutgers this week. Yeah. I mean,
1: shouldn't be a surprise. 31 to seven. I mean, look Rutgers. I thought at least in the first half played this game pretty respectably. I mean, it was tied at seven for a while. I want to say 14 to seven Michigan was the halftime score. So this was, you know, a game for two quarters and some change, you know, ultimately pulled away. Look, Rutgers is three and one. They've got power five wins over granted, not very good uh, power five teams in um, Northwestern and Virginia tech, but they've got them, you know, they're three and one. I I think, this is a team that, you know, maybe they're a bowl team. Maybe they, they raise the ceiling a little bit in the what's arguably the toughest division in college football. So, I, I, you know, not a ton of takeaways from this game. I think Michigan did what we expect them to, um, and, you know, we'll see. But, you know, little spoiler alert here for Michigan, we just don't know that much about this team, and we really aren't going to for a long time because I don't know if you've looked at the schedule, man, but they – they don't really. Their first real test is November 11th against Penn State. They end the year at Penn State, at Maryland, and then Ohio State at home. So those three games could all be tricky. But until then, I mean, there's a good chance they go into that stretch not know. So
0: yeah, it's it's not really. We're not really going to know much. I, I agree with that. But I think what we do know is that Michigan does have a really good defense, and uh, based on what we saw this weekend, they proved it. Uh, the Rucker offense really couldn't sustain anything. They couldn't get anything going. So it really wasn't going to challenge. Uh, they really weren't going to challenge this Michigan team to force them into into a shootout of any sort. Uh, but you really had to like the way that that Michigan played in this game. Uh, Blake Corum did Blake Corum things, uh, you know, averaged almost five yards carry, two touchdowns. You know, McCarthy was able to run the football a little bit. Uh, so, you know, you had to, you had some good performances offensively and just what they asked them to do. And, you know, Michigan keeps winning and they'll stay in that top two spot for a while now, because like you said, they're not really going to play anybody for a while. Now, a team that uh, we've had a lot of questions about, and now I think I have even more questions. We're talking about USC Tyler, a team that put up 42 points on Arizona state, not a big surprise there, but, I think the big surprise with that, this game was as close as it was with eight minutes left in the game. It was 35 to 28, and Mm -hmm. I was starting to wonder if Arizona State was going to surprise USC uh, with a loss because really that offense was doing well, but that defense was just giving up a ton of points.
1: Yeah, I truly wasn't expecting to stay up till like 2 a.m. Eastern watching this game, but I did uh, because it was worth watching for at least a good bit of it. You know, I mean, look, let's just say the obvious, like Caleb did Caleb things in this game. That offense can score at will against it seems like pretty much anybody. I mean, even in their losses to Utah last, last year, they were able to score more or less at will and in the, in the um, Cotton Bowl loss too. But we've got questions. I mean, I we talked about it a lot coming into the season that neither of us were really buying the Alex Grinch defense. They hadn't, I mean, their first three games were about as weak of a start as you could possibly get. Um, and we didn't really see anything, but giving up 28 points to this ASU team. I mean, let's just remember uh, Jane Rashada, the, the true freshman quarterback. They got the, the high four star didn't play in this game. He didn't play last week either. Uh, Drew Pine, the Notre Dame transfer got the start. And with Drew Pine starting last week against Fresno, they got shut out. That game was 29 to nothing. Uh, This game, they had 28 points late in the game on a top five team in the country. That's incredibly concerning. I mean, you made an offense that looked absolutely abysmal against a G5 team last week, look serviceable to decent. And that's really concerning with the tests you're going to face because this legitimately might be the worst offense in the entire conference. Um, It only is going to get tougher from here. I don't know what to make of this one, but I talked about it a little bit earlier. You've got to pet play a pretty explosive Colorado team next week. And I don't have nearly as much much faith in USC's like defensive line as I do Oregon's. Watch that space, maybe.
0: Yeah, no, I will definitely be tuning in for this game. And um they you know what? I might pick Colorado to win this football game this week just because while I do think that USC has the offense that can put up points at will. Like you said, Caleb Williams is doing what Caleb Williams does. Uh, But I also have worries about, like you said, that USC front four slowing down Shador Sanders. Um, You know, he has the ability to run and throw the football. So, you know, there's a lot of questions here and, and really this game did nothing for me. Um, Confidence in USC. You know they're a team that when we've talked about the college football playoff top four, they're a they're a team that I had in my four. And, and right now I, I can't. While they haven't lost, I don't know that I can justify putting them in there. Uh, and, and we'll get into our top four later in the show. But as of right now, I have more questions about USC than I did to start the season. And I, I, I just it makes me wonder when when is that letdown coming? And it might come as early as next week. When they're playing you uh, Colorado uh, in Boulder, uh, so that I mean, that's gonna be a big question. Just real quick, I'm just curious. Like, how many teams do you think right now in
1: the Pac-12 you like more than USC? Because I think the answer is like two to three
0: at least. Um, Oregon, Washington, Washington State. So three. I, I uh, might throw Utah, Utah in that mix, man. Yeah. yeah, their defense looks great with a
1: backup. They haven't had Cam Rising this whole time. Like I, they won that game twice last.
0: Last year, like I don't know. Um, you know, you don't have to worry too much with Utah. Like you worry about the points they're scoring. Well, when you have a defense like that that doesn't give up anything, um, and they can score on their own, uh, you know, you're you're not too worried. But yeah, I would say four. I mean, I'm kind of Colorado, uh, Washington State kind of has me, um, has me intrigued. Uh, but if I had to go with my top three, yeah, Oregon, Washington, Utah. And then you can throw in Washington State is kind of my three A three B. It's tough right now. USC, like you said, is not really answering any questions for me. Uh, but let's talk about our last game of the week. Now this was interesting because we talked about this last week when we were previewing about how intriguing this game was. Could be a statement game. Texas A and M took care of Auburn twenty seven to ten. Uh, why was Jimbo Fisher on the field during a fumble return, <laughs> uh, Tyler? That was weird. I, to be honest, I haven't like really gone in. I saw the
1: clip of it. I didn't really like, go do a deep dive on how it happened. It seems like he just got like really fired up and, and kind of lost all sense of direction and where the coach's box was. I don't know. That was uh, one of the more bizarre things you'll see happen on the football field. Uh,
0: I was having flashbacks to the Pittsburgh coach like against Baltimore. Oh, Mike, Tom- the, Mike Tomlin the Mike Tomlin thing? Yeah, Tomlin thing. Yeah, 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 That's what I was having flashbacks to. But yeah, when you look at Auburn versus Texas A&M, um, I don't know. Texas AM and offense looked really good with Max Johnson, the former LSU quarterback, uh, leading them out there. He, he was 7 of 11, mm-hmm. threw for about two touchdowns, 125 yards. Uh, their, their run game was really good in this game. I, I have a lot of questions about Auburn right now. And, and I, I did not know that the Auburn offense could look worse than they did. <laughs> under brian harson but i was uh i was proven wrong in this game yeah that was abysmal um
1: you know look hugh freeze has this team on a pretty good trajectory i think you know portaled okay in his first class decent recruiting uh returns early but this is going to be a tough year one i think you know we saw pretty fortunate to not have two losses right now after the way that cal game played out earlier this year uh Yeah, just abysmal showing on offense this game. I've got the numbers. So they have, they played all three of their quarterbacks in this game. None of them really worked. Uh, They were a combined nine of 23 for 56 yards passing. Um, So just not at all what you want to see there. Um, Like you mentioned, Connor Wegman does get banged up in this game, uh, leaves Max Johnson. The LSU transfer finishes out. Um, Looks pretty good, you know, all things considered. A guy who's played a lot of college football games in his career. Um, Not all of it good, but some of it pretty good. Uh, you know, Wegman will see, uh, moving forward. They've got a big game against Arkansas and Jerry world on Saturday. He, I saw that, I saw a report from a couple of days ago that the MRI MRI on his ankle was negative. Um, but I don't really know anything beyond that as far as whether he'll play next week. So that's kind of something to keep an eye on, uh, you know, promising for A&M, a and game. I think they should have, they needed to win, you know, but it was at home, you know, looked the part was never really that competitive of a game. So good, you know, go do it against an Arkansas team that looks at least dangerous,
0: they do look dangerous, and, and I really liked uh, I, in this game. I, you know, looking at what, you know, Max can do, you know, it, it's not very often that you can have a starting quarterback the caliber of, of Wegman and then feel very comfortable with your backup, a guy who's won a lot of football games, uh, including Max Johnson's last game at LSU where he beat AM and then went and joined him. Uh, you know, you have to really like what this team does look better than they did against Miami. Uh, but perhaps Miami is just one of those teams that's quietly one of the better teams in the country. Uh, We didn't really get to see it this week because they played Temple, a game that was never really in doubt. Uh, But, you know, there are some teams in that SEC West that can make some noise, and I think it starts with LSU, Alabama, and then you have to look at Texas A&M probably the third best team uh, right now just based on what we saw uh, Ole Miss look like. but. You know, we'll, we'll get to see those opportunities as well. Uh, but let's talk about a couple other things. These are – we're done looking at our games from this past weekend. Now let's talk about the Heisman front runner. We kind of teased it earlier. Uh, Tyler, go ahead with your Heisman frontrunner right now just based on what you've seen uh, on the field. Yeah,
1: um, it's Michael Penix, Jr. Look, he – this guy, I mean – I've seen a lot of people starting to say that this is like, I've seen this take now multiple times. People say this is like maybe the closest thing we've seen in college football uh, to the 2019 LSU offense. I don't know. I'm not going that far yet. I'm not going that far yet, but they look really, really good. You know, they were great last year too. Led the FBS in passing yards. Uh, You know, Penix is by pretty much all metrics, I think the best quarterback in the country right now. Um, And I know people that like Caleb Williams will argue with me on that, but he currently leads – the country in passing yards with 1,636. Uh, his 16 touchdowns also lead the country. And his 74.6% completion is in the top 10. Um, I mean, that's, I, I don't really know what more you can ask for a guy who's being asked to do so much um, in that passing offense. That's that insane production. Um, don't really see any reason they're going to slow down uh, because, you know, they're not going to play a lot of, I, I think, elite defenses uh, in the Pac-12. You know, there aren't many of those. So I, I think, and it didn't slow down last year. Like I said, they finished leading the FBS in passing yards per game. So I really expect that this will just continue. Penix is in for a really prolific year. And given his story and everything he's gone through, I think it makes a great Heisman candidate.
0: I'm going to go with Caleb Williams as my Heisman front frontrunner. Uh, 15 touchdowns, no interceptions, three rushing touchdowns. Uh, you know, he hasn't really shown that he's going to slow down. Uh, and I think ultimately on November 4th, when we see Caleb versus Michael Penix, I think the winner could win the Heisman in that game. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be two high-flying offenses. And if you look at Washington, they're they're, they're allowing people to score, too, as we saw against that game against California. So whatever the over is, when those two teams meet, I'm taking the over in this game. I'm smashing it uh, when it comes to Caleb Williams versus Michael Penix.
1: Yeah, and one thing about Caleb Williams, sort of, is to play devil's advocate against myself. You know, Penix has two picks uh, on the air. Caleb Williams has none, and in all the stats, just listed off, Caleb Williams sits directly behind Michael Penix. Uh, the yards, it's, 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 I don't remember exactly how many behind, but he's not far behind. He's one touchdown behind, and he ranks
0: 11th in completion percentage. So it's well, actually actually I mean, like really four hundred behind. Uh, it, is he? Is he really? According to CFB stats, wow. I was just pulling it up. Twelve hundred yards possible? for Caleb, sixteen thirty six for Penix. The only guy within two hundred yards and really two hundred fifty yards is Shadur Sanders. Wow.
1: Okay, so I didn't even realize. So that okay, that bolsters my argument, I guess, even more. He's he's
0: blowing the field away
1: in terms of passing yards. Not so much in terms of the the passing touchdowns and
0: efficiency. But though. it's interesting. So, they both have an a, a, a identical eleven point nine yards per attempt. I mean, it is
1: wild, like how similar the production has been between the two of them. I mean, they could be shaping up for an all-time Heisman race.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think this is going to be great. And you know, Michael Penix Jr. is a guy who we liked at Indiana, you know, and then he goes to Washington and he just far exceeded anything that I expected, and really goes to speak to the job that Kalen DeBoer is doing uh, in Seattle. I, I think he's doing a fantastic job, and and really. We could see, not only can we see this matchup on November 4th, we could potentially see this again in the Pac-12 title game. Obviously, Oregon and Utah are going to have something to say about it, uh, but still speaks to how how fun this could be. Okay, right now, top four, college football playoff. I know it's early, but, hey, who doesn't love talking about this as we head into week five. Uh, Tyler, where are, you, where are you going with your top four in the college football playoff right now? I've
1: shaken things up quite a bit this week um, just because I feel like it. You know, I I don't like trying to stick to preseason rankings. I think that's a fool's errand. And these are the teams that right now I think are the four best teams in the country. So starting at number one, I've got Ohio State. Um, They've got probably the most impressive win of anyone in the country, even more so than Texas. Uh, I think beating Notre Dame on the road right now impresses me a lot more than beating Alabama on the road. Uh, and I would say after that, I've got Georgia who hasn't really been tested, but, you know, is doing, you know, doing what they do. Uh, we'll see, I guess, as they progress, you know, I don't think Auburn's going to give them much of a test this weekend. They, they have a pretty easy regular season schedule, to be honest, as far as uh, relative to being in the SEC. So I don't really see anyone getting them anytime soon. Um, and then after them, I do have Texas at three, you know, still taking care of business, have that Alabama win. Going to face some tough games in Big 12 play. Maybe Oklahoma is better than we thought they were coming into the year, but we'll see. Um, and then at four, I've got a newcomer. I've got Washington, and I've got them bumping Michigan out, and I have them instead of uh, USC and FSU as well. So uh, I think they're the best team in the Pac-12 at the moment. They've impressed me the most, and
0: my money would probably be on them to win the league. Uh, I will say Georgia, and this is not in any order. Uh, I'm just going to give you my four best. Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, Michigan uh, right now. And, you know, that it's tough to leave Washington out of that conversation. Like you said, you brought up a lot of good points about Washington. Um, you know, and I, I could see an instance where Ohio State, Michigan, play a really close game, the final game of the season, and both teams still get in. Uh, Georgia right now, just because of how easy their schedule is, really the only real test that they might have, uh, you know, I think they'll get tested a little bit when they play Tennessee, uh, when they play Florida, because rivalry games just mean a little bit more. Uh, But really when it comes down to it, I think Georgia far and away. And then you look at Michigan and what they're doing, Ohio State based on what they did. Uh, And and in Texas, just because I I just wonder if if really if anybody is going to be able to challenge Texas. And we're going to find out in a couple of weeks, October 8th, or I'm sorry, October 7th. Uh, Pay attention that weekend, Texas OU. I think with the way Dylan Gabriel is playing right now against Oklahoma, for Oklahoma, and the way that Quinn Ewers and and that team is doing, and and Jonathan Brooks just took over against that Baylor team uh, this past weekend, I I really like them. I think that will tell us a lot, but right now I'm going to lean Texas. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think those are all valid points. And, you know, I think leaving Michigan off, I just want to be clear – Nothing to do with anything Michigan's done on the field. They've done nothing but take care of business against, you know, admittedly a lot lesser opponents. Um, But that's, that's, you know, you don't control your schedule to an extent, you know, at least the current team doesn't. So, you know, uh, doing what they got to do, taking care of business. I just have been more impressed with the positive results that other teams have had, as opposed to, you know, any negative results that Michigan has had, which
0: hasn't been the case. Yeah, and we'll find out. Like you said, we will find out later in the season with a lot of these teams, like at Georgia, with uh, with with Michigan. Uh, we got that Washington-USC game that's going to be coming. We're going to see what Utah can do. How does Texas look after they play Oklahoma? Uh, really, do they have anybody that can challenge them? It's going to be interesting to see. And really, the Big 12 title game will tell us a lot. There's, there's still, you know, despite we're already in Week 5, there's still a lot left to... Find out about this game. Uh, find out about these teams and, and the college world playoffs as as it marches on. You know, but that's going to do it for this edition of the college twelve pack. We will be back on Thursday. Uh, we're going to be previewing the weekend to come. Uh, some big games coming up, and uh, we'll probably get into a little more hot seat talk uh, as as that is really starting to to come a clear picture. And, and maybe maybe. West Virginia is a lot better than we gave them credit for when the season started. That's going to do it for us. Tyler, i Patrick. We'll see you next week.